Matthew 13, 44, again, Matthew 13, 44, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. With the help of the Lord this morning, I, I simply just want to speak to us on this subject, faith in this field. Faith in this field. Can we clap our hands to the Lord one more time? Ask the Lord to speak to us. God, I thank you for everything that you're doing. Have your way in this place today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. We, we have embarked on a new year. A new year presents many things. It's a fresh start. It's a new perspective on what's to come. It may be even a rekindled purpose for what may be coming around the corner. It's a clean slate. It's a brand new opportunity. It's a release, if you will, so to speak, to from things of yesterday, from things that you have been through. It's a look into the rearview mirror, but as you are moving forward, maybe even that look is into the hope of a brighter year, a brighter future. Some of you may have even come here on this Sunday morning breathing a sigh of relief that you made it through another year. You did it. You conquered 2022. Thankful that it didn't destroy you. I'm thankful that it didn't take you out. You're here today, and I've watched you as you have stood here at the altar with hands raised, and there's been a worship come out of you, and you're worshiping the God that never fails and a God that never falters and a God that never turns his back on his children. In the last couple of years, if it has taught us anything, it has taught us that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that nothing gets beyond the all-seeing eye of the Almighty. And even though we may be living in an hour of intense pressure and uncertainty of what tomorrow may bring, we also find ourselves in a very unique and powerful moment in history. We are living in an hour where there is a lot of challenges and it's evident everywhere you look, but God has not been surprised by this hour. He has a plan, and God sees where each one of us may find ourselves even this morning. He sees what many of you have endured over the course of the last few years, and you have fought your way through some things, but the Bible tells me something that we need to take hope in even at the beginning of this year. He knows the way that I take, and he's still faithful. Somebody say amen. There's a very powerful illustration that I want to begin with in our time together this morning that will express the direction I believe that God is wanting us to go together today. It happened during the apex of the Second World War. In fact, this moment was a major turning point in an already brutal conflict. Germany's massive war machine was setting its sights on the United Kingdom and under the direction of their left-weight air commander, they intended to totally annihilate Britain, or at least bring Britain to a place of surrender. However, what they did not truly take into account was Britain's Royal Air Force. Under the direction of their air commander, a man by the name of Hugh Dowding, 
The Royal Air Force at first appearances did not seem as prepared, equipped, or trained as did Germany's Air Force. In fact, Germany's commander believed that the Royal Air Force would be swept from the skies in just four short days. And what's interesting to me is the fact that the Royal Air Force consisted of young, ragtag, not very well-trained pilots who didn't seem to have a whole lot to offer, but even though they were fewer in number and even though they had inferior training and even though they lacked the planes and the technology that Germany's pilots employed, the Royal Air Force held back Germany's attack and in only a few months' time during the summer of 1940, they turned the tide of the war in what has now become known as the Battle of Britain. And while the battle raged and while Hitler sent his air command to destroy Britain, Winston Churchill and his address to the House of Commons during the height of the skirmish stated this, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. What Hitler was not expecting and more than likely could never have known was the passion and the commitment that these few ragtag, young, undertrained Air Force pilots, or Royal Air Force pilots possessed as they pushed back the onslaught of a much superior air command. It was a major victory for Great Britain and it became a major turning point in the war. As we begin to walk down this path today, need I remind you, it has always been and will always be throughout history and even scripture that God has never required a majority to accomplish his purposes. The Apostle Paul does his best to expound upon this thought when he begins this discourse concerning the weakness of man versus the power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we discover that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty. He chooses the base things, common things, things that are overlooked and despised to bring about his purposes upon this planet. Paul proves the guarantee of God that we don't always understand, neither do we always comprehend hand, we have to surrender to the sovereignty of God and just recognize uh, that his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. Spend any time at all in the word of God and you will quickly discover significant moments with ordinary people who stood up against seemingly insurmountable odds and overcame because, because they chose to stand in the gap and be the man or the woman God needed during their generation. Hebrews 11 invites us to meander down the hallways of the faithful as we encounter one individual after another that rose to the challenge of their generation and brought about a needed victory in in spite of what was going on around them, in spite of what was happening in the culture around them, hear me and hear me well. I serve a God that has always been very comfortable pulling from the canvas of the common, those insignificant, insufficient, unqualified men and women in order to make a difference in today's world. God's never needed, he will never need a majority to accomplish his purposes. Uh, he's never required you to be mighty or brave. Uh, he's not asked you to fast till your belly button falls off. Uh, amen. He is content uh, taking common people uh, and turning them into ambassadors uh, of the Almighty uh, in order to complete uh, and to qualify his work. 
I'm thankful that he looked beyond my faults and my failures and my inconsistencies and said, there is somebody that I can do something with. Let me, let me work on this just for a moment. Take a moment and examine the life of an insignificant shepherd boy by the name of David. When David was plucked from the pasture of tending his father's sheep and placed in front of a national spotlight to face off against a giant, there was an entire nation that was almost waiting with bated breath for someone, somebody to lead them to greatness. And from the moment that Goliath fell till David took his final dying gasp of air, we see a man who the Bible tells us, David served his generation. He restored a nation. In fact, it said that under the leadership of David that the territory of Israel, what they controlled and what they conquered during his reign, expanded over 10 times more than when he stepped to the throne. What did David do? He placed Zion on the map. David restored national pride and honor into the hearts of ordinary people of Israel that was unrivaled by any other nation in the then known world. How? How was David able to take the common run-of-the-mill Israelite and turn them into ambassadors of the Almighty? I'll tell you how David decided while I'm alive and I'm breathing while it's my time and it's on my watch uh, while I'm walking on this planet I'm not going to waste my time I'm going to serve my generation I'm going to do something with my life uh, I'm not just going to tiptoe through the tulips uh, I'm going to serve my generation when David found himself hounded by Saul who was attempting to put an end to the threat of David becoming the next monarch, we see a very unique event begin to unfold. Men who had found themselves distressed, discontented, men that were in debt, made their way to the cave of a giant killer who had a passion to serve his generation. Men that had been cut off from their family. Men that had been ridiculed by their neighbors. Men that had been pushed to the side, journeyed to the cave where God was making a man into what the Bible calls a king. And these men became known during their time with David as the mighty men of David. And from that encounter alone, we discover these mighty men being formed and literally changing the course of their nation. They saved a nation from becoming as the nations around them. Amen. And one of these once, time after time after time, one of these once mediocre misfits of society would rise up in the face of insult surmountable odds uh, and they would secure victory for the people of God. They were amazing men, powerful men but they were common. Time does not permit me to discuss all of these in depth as I would like but allow me a moment here in our time together to address two that I think are beneficial for us at the first of this year. One was a man by the name of Benaiah. The Bible tells us something, that he comes across a lion that goes down into a pit on a snowy day. And it goes on to say that Benaiah decides to climb down into the pit with the lion in the middle of a snowstorm. My definition of a man like that is idiot. What in the world was he thinking? If it had been me and I come across the lion on a pit, but Jason on a snowy day, and it goes down into that pit and leaves me alone, I'm already shorthanded. I'd have been very happy. 
just to say thank you for your deliverance, Jesus, and walk on by. But not Benaiah. Benaiah recognized something that I think it's important for you and I to get a hold of. And, and this is something that I felt like the Lord wants to just talk to us on the first day of this year. It was not the most opportune moment for him to tackle a lion. The conditions were not the best. There was no solid footing. It wasn't the most pleasant season. But Benaiah understood, if I don't take care of this now, while it's beneath the surface, it may one day come out to destroy me or somebody else. Amen. So he climbed down into a pit with a lion on a snowy day and he waged war against a potential problem maybe a few months down the road for somebody else that commitment to get down into that pit on the enemy's domain during an inopportune season that gets me I have to stop for a moment and dissect this just a little bit so you and I can understand what God wants to say some of you that may be under the sound of my voice today we need to recognize God may be asking you to take care of some things uh, that are under the surface, uh, things that nobody sees, uh, things that nobody knows is going on in your life, uh, that attitude, that bitterness, that lust, that anger, that jealousy. Uh, hear me and hear me well. You never know what climbing down into a pit, uh, amen, is going to do for the future of your family, uh, amen. I don't want that lion coming back out uh, when I had an opportunity to take care of it when nobody was looking. I don't want to come out and taking away my kids. I don't want to come out and destroying my marriage. I don't. Hear me. You never know what diving into the domain of darkness and defeating that spirit while it's below the surface is going to do to bring about victory in the lives of your children. Amen. I commend you, man of God. I commend every husband and I commend every wife that has dived down in moments when hell was fighting your family and you decided, no, not today. We're going to take care. Sometimes you got to take care of things in your 20s. So it doesn't come out to get you in your 40s. Sometimes you better take care of things in your 30s so they don't disrupt you in your 60s. You gotta dive down sometimes and wrestle with things. I know it's not common. I know it's not the most best. It's not the best time. But I know this. When I take care of those things, amen, it destroys things that could take me out in my future. I commend your pastor and his wife for diving down under the domain of darkness in seasons when I, I took pictures today of looked at some of the pictures in your pastor's office of the journey of new life. Storefronts. The living rooms. The places that seem so small and insignificant at the time. But they dove down in seasons where no one even seemed to show up. 
Can I just talk to you? I feel this in the Holy Ghost. It may not be the most pristine of conditions. You may have to deal with the mess and the embarrassment of dealing with those things. But hear me, God's just looking for somebody. Someone that's not afraid to stand on the Lord's side and declare victory in the face of defeat. Sometimes you got to go down under the surface and take care of things. But it's not real popular and I don't get any recognition. It does not matter. In God's eyes, you are setting something up for the future of your family. I can't tell you the times that I've stood at the doorway to my children's rooms in the midnight hour with my hand on the door saying devil you get your hands off of them. I dedicate them to the Lord. Amen. They're not your property. They're God's property. Amen. Did we fight hell at times? Absolutely. Did we wage war in a place I didn't expect? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you they're living for God. They're involved in the kingdom of God. So fight on, dear mama. Fight on, precious daddy. Amen. Because you're securing victory for the future. Another mighty man comes to mind that I believe needs to be examined. His name is Shama. Here's a misfit turned mighty who stationed himself in the middle of a field of beans, defended it, killed the Philistines. The Bible says that the Lord brought about a great victory. A once derelict, disdained, and disowned misfit now is planting his feet firmly in the ground, willing to give his life for something that he loves so dearly. i got to stop here for just a moment, try to impart a burden that I felt God planted for our time together today. We're not given much information about this field. We really don't know who owned it or took care of it. It's assumed it belonged to Shama just because of the action that he took on this fateful day when the enemy was trying to take this small little patch of beans. But what we do know is that this field apparently meant something to Shama. You and I will never stand up for anything if it doesn't have some sort of value to us. Hello? When I look at the story that is seemingly insignificant when it comes to the grand scale of the history of God, But yet it is so powerful in its application to you and I today. I see a man that made a decision to do something even though others chose not to. What this field represented was more important than just the beans in the field. No doubt, no doubt the beans were destroyed in the conflict that day. They had to be. It wasn't the beans that Shama was necessarily interested in. He could replace and replant trampled beans, but it's much more difficult to replace a stolen and captured field. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl under the sound of my voice, you have been given a field in this life. Every parent listening to me on this Sunday morning, you have been given a field. It's a place of responsibility that has expanded with time. It's now much more valuable than it was when it was just you standing there. It's expanded from it just being you and your wife. It's now more broad. It's more valuable. It's more important now than it was in your teens or your 20s. Hear me, hear me, hear me. We're living in an hour where the enemy is doing his dead level best to steal ground from God's people as the Philistines were in the days of David. So they are in this modern age. They're still around doing their best uh, to take ground from God's people. Uh, But I feel something rising up uh, in Cabot, Arkansas on a Sunday morning. Uh, We've fought too hard. Uh, We've wrestled too long. Uh, We've worshiped too strongly. Uh, We uh, are taking this field uh, and we're going to value 
There are two major forces God uses that the enemy would love to destroy and rip from the landscape of society, and those two forces are the family and the church. God uses these two fields to reveal his redemptive power in the world. Allow me a moment here just to establish a baseline. The enemy sees the influence, the impact the church and the home can have on society today, so he fights it. The church and the family, we're at a crossroad, if you will, in this hour of history. It appears that we have arrived at a potentially defining moment in society in which the church is losing its influence and the home is losing its heart. But hear me today, these fields still matter. They still have value. No matter what they may be teaching in other places. uh, No matter what is happening uh, around this world. uh, This is why I've come uh, on this Sunday morning. Uh, We better understand the value of this field called the church uh, and we better understand the value of a field called the family. Uh, Amen. What are you doing standing in that field, Shama? Everybody's leaving. Everybody's turning their back. Uh, Your family's run away. I'll tell you why it's valuable it means something to me I want to speak to every parent in this house amen it is your job it is your God given privilege to take care of the enemy that tries to take your field stand your ground mama stand your ground daddy this field is valuable amen it means something there are some fields Worth fighting for. Well, I'll leave it to the youth pastor. Well, you know, hopefully pastor's got a good one today. And by the way, if you're a guest, come back and see a whole preacher next week. Okay. He's a good one. I'm sorry you got to hear me today. If you're a guest, come on back. But I want to tell you something. You've got to understand the value. In this hour, this is valuable territory. I I grew up in the Magic Valley of southern Idaho. Those spring days and those late summer nights, the farmers would be out there prepping and preparing the soil. The field mattered to those farmers. They understood it takes more than just throwing out seed a few days a year in order to get a crop. They had to prepare the soil. They had to take time working the field, getting it ready so when the seed landed it would find a fertile field to grow in. It takes more than just coming to church, hearing a little bit of the word of God and expect then to reap a harvest. You have to value the field. Amen. You have to value it. You got to get that soil ready so when the pastor amen, plants some seeds it falls on fertile soil. Amen. You got to tear up that fallow ground. Amen. If it's just wayside ground or thorny ground or rocky soil it will not produce what it is intended to produce. Uh, I want to say it again because I'm trying to drive it home. This uh, field uh, is uh, valuable. Uh, This altar is a field that still matters. Uh, These pews and chairs are a field uh, that still matter. Uh, This pulpit is a field uh, that must be valued. Uh, It still matters. Uh, Naboth, uh, why don't you just get rid of your vineyard? You don't understand. Uh, This was handed to me from Jesus. Generations, I can't let it go yet. Amen. It's mine. I'm preaching to a mama who's been fighting hell through 2022, and I've come to tell you, hang on. There's gonna something come out of this field.
field that is going to bless you. Stand with me all across this building. You may ask, what is in my field, preacher? What's got you so worked up up there? Brother Sergeant, well, what's in your field is a husband and a wife. What's in your field are kids. You got to protect them and guide them. What's in your field is a church. Don't be flaky with the church. It's so much easier to let the enemy take the field, but the end result is destruction. Let me go back for just a moment as musicians come and bring about a point that needs to be addressed. When Shama stood his ground and protected his field, he did so by standing in the middle of the field. He wasn't on the edge. Hello? He was right there in the middle. He wasn't over here just kind of testing the wind. Well, should I be a part of church today or not? He got in the middle. may be missing a limb, but I know karate. And I'm not a violent person. I'm not. I'm not. I can't even stab my own Capri son. But if you come take something from me, Brother Gaddy, some of you don't even know what a Capri son is. I ain't letting anything take it. It's too valuable. I'm third generation Pentecostal. My grandfather, Sid Sargent, came into truth in his 20s. He got put together with a other logger. He was a logger up in the hills of Washington and Oregon. He had those big saws and they cut down those big redwoods. Go back and forth. He got teamed up with a one God tongue-talking apostolic who would say, Sid, you got to come to church with me. You got to hear about this Jesus. My grandfather would cuss him out, call him all kinds of names. But every day, this man would just say, come on, Sid, you got to try this. One day, my grandfather got so mad, he stopped sawing. He said, okay, I'll go to church with you once just so you shut up. And he went to church and he got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name because it's real, it's real. I know it's real. He went home and told my grandma, Ruby, Ruby, you're not going to believe it. I got the Holy Ghost. She threw a fit. What do you mean you got the Holy Ghost? Dear Lord, that's demonic. You're, you're a Pentecostal. Now you got to go with me. I ain't going. Week after week, he'd say, come on, Ruby, just go to church with me one time. And he'd leave without her. And she would say, no. One day he comes home from work and all her bags are packed. She goes, I'm leaving. You said, take me out to my parents' farm. I don't want anything to do with this. He's pleading with her. Please, Ruby, don't do this. If you could just taste and see. 
There's something valuable about what I got. They start driving out to the farm. My grandfather, he told me the story so many times. He's praying under his breath. Oh, God, get a hold of Ruby. About halfway there, she says, stop the car, Sid. Not sure she said it like that, but he said, what? I'll go to church with you once. So she did, and she got the Holy Ghost, and she got baptized in Jesus' name, and they built churches physically and spiritually across the Northwest. When my grandfather was dying of cancer, just a few weeks before he passed, we went to visit him in Bend, Oregon. All week he talked about heaven. He talked about the beauty of this message of the gospel. (laughs) We got ready to leave. My dad said, Pop, will you pray for my boys? I'm the oldest of three boys, the better looking one, by the way. And I kneeled down to that rocking chair. My grandfather put his hand on my head. I was 21 years of age, just starting in ministry, just graduated from Bible college. He put his hand on my head and he began to pray and he prayed a prayer very similar to this. He said, God, let him love this truth. Let him value this truth. I don't know what hell followed you out of 2022. Papa and Mama, I don't know what in the world you have thought, but I do know this. This field is valuable. Have faith in this field because what comes out of this field are blessings. What comes out of this field are miracles. What comes out of this field, amen, is revival. What come, You didn't build this church just to look good coming off a highway, honey. You built it for broken people that want to know the fruit of this field. Have faith in this field and get in the middle of it. If you stand for something, I am a firm believer that God will bring about the miracle in your family and in your church and in your life. My wife and I have lived by this. I told my children since they were young, invest your life in the things that will outlive you. Invest your life in the eternal. Don't invest it in this world. You got to live. You got to make money. You got to have an education. All those things are important. But I would tell my kids from the time I can remember, this thing matters. This is valuable. This is important. Amen. I would bring my kids to the altar when the Holy Ghost was moving. I would bring them to prayer meeting. Amen. And they would feel the touch of God. Amen. Don't under, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We gotta live our life. But this field is valuable. The field. Can I just talk to this church? I, and I didn't mean to say some of this, but I just feel this. When you broke ground for this church, many of you may have recognized, some of you may have not, you were breaking ground for the future of families and young adults and drug addicts and alcoholics 
and unwanted people and broken people. You were breaking up the ground for the seed to fall in that would produce a harvest uh, that would last for generations, uh, that would break the curse of previous generations. Uh, a man that had gone the way of flesh uh, and done everything wrong, but you broke the cycle by getting the Holy Ghost uh, and coming in here uh, and establishing something uh, that the enemy cannot destroy. This field I know you understand it because I know the heartbeat of your pastor, but can I say this city needs a church like this. Uh, this city needs a field like this. Uh, this city needs a family field like you're building and, and raising and growing. Uh, amen. This city needs a field. You read one scripture, Matthew, the parable of the treasure in the field. The man, scripture says, discovers it. Sells everything to get it. There was a treasure in that field, yes. But he didn't just get the treasure when he bought the field. He got the rocks and he got the dirt and he got the weeds. He got the thistles. There's a lot of mess that happens when you step into the middle and fight for what you got. But it's so valuable. God desires there to be a revival in this field, unlike any that has ever been before. Amen. Your pastor, I know, amen, is the shepherd of this church and will declare the direction to you. But I sense in the Holy Ghost, amen, that this year, and I concur with what your pastor said earlier, this is a year of growth. This is a year of harvest. This is a year that this field and every prayer and every bit of worship and every bit of praise and every sacrifice you put in to make it happen is going to experience something unlike you've ever experienced before. God desires a field that is fruitful in cabot. God desires there is treasure in this field. You will fight against strongholds, wickedness in high places, challenges will arise. The enemy may come against you. Your family may bug out. Your children may push at you. Your peers may attack you. But I've come to tell somebody who has purchased this treasure in the field, uh, the treasure is always greater than the trouble. Uh, so stand your ground, Papa. Stand your ground, Mama. Uh, keep on praying, Sister Zion. Uh, keep on declaring the goodness of God with hands lifted. Uh, and raised because this field matters. I want us to do something. I know we're going to be taking communion in a few moments, but in prayer this morning, I just felt to do this. I want you to gather in the altar as families. Children, young people, find your mom and dad. Husbands, find your wife. Get together. Come down as families if you would. We didn't build a new church, but we remodeled one in 2016. I know the challenges that come. Anytime. Moms and dads, hear me. Anytime you take a stand for something of value, the enemy hates it. But the blessings of taking a stand far outweighs anything the enemy can do against us.
when we're united as families, when we join together with shovels in our hands, spiritually speaking, and seeds in the bag, spiritually speaking, and we start worshiping, we're throwing out seed. When we start praising, we're digging ditches where water will flood this place and this field in prayer this morning. I just see a vineyard. It's all like, I don't know how else to say it. I see a vineyard for New Life Cabin. I'm, I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm not trying to be a prophet. Amen. I don't claim to be any of that. But I know when I see what I see, and I see grapes growing on the vine, Pastor. I see people uh, walking through the vineyard, Pastor. I see the blessings of God descending. Why? Because there's a group of people. Look around you. There's a group of people who said this matters. Uh, We're going to have faith in this field uh, and we're going to see God do something. There are evangelists being raised up with your children. Uh, There's missionaries coming out uh, of this field. Uh, There's people that'll pastor churches uh, coming out of this field. Uh, There's nations that'll be rocked uh, by the power of the Holy Ghost uh, coming out of this field. Uh, There are things that are going to happen in your business uh, coming out of this field. Uh, There's blessing. uh, There's anointing. There's revival. There's power coming out of this field because you put your faith in it. Because you believe that with God all things are possible. You believe no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Throw your hands up and declare the blessing. Amen. And then start praying for your family. Children, pray for your parents. Parents, pray for your children. Husbands and wives, pray for each other. There's value in this field. This field matters.